Thank you, and good evening. So Exodus chapter 18. I wonder if any of you have got one of those stories that when you're with certain people, you can't help but tell it. Maybe one of those incidents on a family holiday that whenever you meet up together every Christmas, you retell that story. Maybe a sporting triumph that when the team gets together, you can't help about talk about, about that night when you won that cup. One of those stories that when you're around certain people, you always tell that story. And you don't just tell it, you revel in the retelling of that story. It has a special place and you never grow tired of telling it. Last month, we celebrated my nephew Keen's eighth birthday. And as a family, whenever we go to my brother's house, whenever we spend any time with Keen, we can't help but retell the story. The amazing story of Keen being alive and with us at all. I've been bold putting this in so early, I'm going to cry. Keen was born just 26 weeks into pregnancy. He weighed just two pounds and five ounces. And the first six months of his life, it was literally a fight to survive. He underwent many emergency procedures. And there are times when the doctors had to take my brother and his wife outside the room and say, this might not go well. The worst could happen. Yet Keen is still with us. And despite his many disabilities and difficulties, he is alive and he is happy. And he brings us so much love and joy as a family. And whenever we're around Keen, we always talk about those first six months. His very name means warrior, fighter, a constant reminder, even when you say his name, of the way this kid had to fight to survive. And the amazing thing about Keen is, or difficult as his life is, those first six months and the continual difficulties he has now, the Lord used those difficulties to save my brother. And every time we think about Keen, we think about God's goodness in preserving his life. But I'm also incredibly grateful that through that, my brother came to the foot of the cross. And tonight, as we reach Exodus 18, we reach a hinge in the book of Exodus. We get a chance to see how the events of chapters 1 to 17, that great redemptive rescue of God's people, isn't an isolated story of rescue, but it's a story that continues to rescue and redeem people to God. It is a story that is to be told again and again. And in the second half of chapter 18, we get a chance to look forward to what the rest of Exodus has to teach us in how we live in response to this amazing rescue. So chapter 18, verse 1. Now Jephro, the priest of Midian and father-in-law of Moses, heard of everything God had done for Moses and for his people Israel and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Jephro has heard all about the Exodus. He's heard about all the things that the Lord has done in rescuing the Israelites from slavery, oppression, and bondage they were experiencing in Egypt. And he knows that it is God who has done all these things. There is an instant recognition here from Jephro that it is the work of God. He doesn't credit the work to his amazing, son, uh, amazing son-in-law Moses. He doesn't give the victory to Moses over Pharaoh and over Egypt. He credits the work to God. Jephro has heard about everything that God has done in rescuing his people. 
And how has Jephro heard of all of this? As we see later on in chapter, Jephro has been away from the events. So how has he heard about this? Well, before Twitter, news still spread very fast. And in the ancient world, it was no different. Traders and traveling people and surrounding regions would have been fully aware of the events that were taking place in Egypt, the world's powerhouse at the time. Egypt had just lost its entire population of slaves and in the process lost its pharaoh and its army in the Red Sea. So not only would Jephro have found out via news traveling from people going to Egypt to trade and so on, he also had his daughter and grandsons with him. We see that in verses 2 to 7. After Moses had sent away his wife Zipporah, his father-in-law Jephro received her and her two sons. One was named Gershom, for Moses said, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. And the other was named Eliezer, for he said, My father's God was my helper. He saved me from the sword of Pharaoh. So not only would Jephro have found out from these people traveling around, he had Moses' very family in his house. The names of his grandsons tell of a God who rescues. And I'm sure Zipporah would have been wanting to talk to him all the time about the great things God had said he was going to achieve through Moses. Jephro is being completely inundated with testimony and accounts of a rescuing God, a God who saves and a God who is alive and active. And there will be many of you here tonight who have heard about the same God, the God of the Bible, the God who rescues, the God who saves. Maybe you come into the King Center week after week and sit under the preaching of God's word, whether that be in a youth group or here in the main church. And you hear about this God who rescues people from death. Perhaps you live in a Christian home. You have a Christian husband or wife, Christian parents, a Christian sibling. And every day you see and hear someone who, talk, who talks about and commits their life to a God who has rescued them. And how do you respond to that? Can I urge you tonight, if that is your situation, you do not know the God who rescues, then look at Jephro's response. And our prayer for you would be that you would respond just as Jephro does, because his response is amazing. First of all, he sends word to Moses. Can't think a letter from your father-in-law is ever a good thing. But he sends word to Moses saying, I'm coming to see you, and I'm bringing your wife and kids. And they meet up, and there's this traditional cultural welcome. And then in verse 8, they get talking. Do they talk about how was your journey? How have the kids been behaving? No, verse 8. Moses told his father-in-law about everything the Lord had done to Pharaoh and the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and about all the hardships they had met along the way and how the Lord had saved them. They meet up, and the first thing they talk about is the rescue. The very rescue we've been told in verse 1, Jephro already knows all about it. He's heard it all already. Yet the first thing they talk about is the rescue. They talk about it again. Why? Because this story of salvation from the hands of Pharaoh is truly miraculous. We've seen that, haven't we, over the past five or six weeks. This is a miraculous story of salvation. It shows God's love, power, grace, and character beautifully. So much so that they can't stop talking about it. It's captured the imagination of this Midianite priest. He wants to know more. He wants to talk about it more. About a God who would go to such lengths to rescue his people. 
What a story of redemption Exodus is. Yet it's just a foreshadow of the greatest act of salvation that was to come from God. The rescue of his people, not from physical slavery and bondage, but salvation from the slavery and bondage of sin and death through Christ Jesus, his son. And that is our story of salvation. If the story of Exodus is amazing, then the Lord Jesus Christ should absolutely blow our minds. We can never retell the story of our rescue, the story of our salvation enough. As the hymn writer proclaims, tell me the old, old story. As Christians, we have been telling this story for 2,000 years. Why? Not just because it's a a great historical story or an action-packed bestseller, but because it's the the story of how Christ broke into my selfish, sinful heart and changed my life, rescuing me from the consequences of death and bringing me into a loving relationship with a God who rescues. We retell it because it's mighty to save. He alone can rescue. He alone can save. I will sing the wondrous story of the Christ who died for me. The Christian story brings life. It brings hope. It is the story of lives changed by the love and grace of God through his son, the Lord Jesus. How can we ever tire of telling that story? But the answer is, we so often do. How often do we tell it? How often do we recall it? How often do we revel in the glorious salvation that God has worked in us through the death of his only son on the cross? I talk about my Surrey Cup wins back to back more than I talk about this. Do we sit down and share testimony? Do we recall God's grace in saving us? Do we tell others how we were saved? It's great, isn't it, to give a generic gospel, and of course that has the power to save, but that personal testimony of how God saved you, how often do we tell it? The rescue of two million Jewish people out of the land of Egypt is an incredible display of God's love for his people. Incredible. But the cross is where God's most incredible act of rescue is most gloriously and powerfully displayed. His own son taking the punishment for sin. And that is our testimony. And it should consume our conversations. And it should always be there ready to retell and revel in. And this account is a a powerful reminder of that. And the the impact that that can have are revealed to us in verses 9 to 12, that the retelling of our rescue has the power to save. Verses 9 to 12. Jephro was delighted to hear about all the good things the Lord had done for Israel in rescuing from the hand of the Egyptians, He said, praise be to the Lord who rescued you from the hand of the Egyptians and the Pharaoh and who rescued the people from the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. For he did this to those who treated Israel arrogantly. Now I know. Now I know. Now I've heard the story. Now I know. 
Isn't that what we want to hear from our friends and families who don't know Christ? It's what I want to hear. Now I know. Jephro here acknowledges that the Lord is the God, the only God. He is greater than any other God that is out there. He's greater than the God of financial security. He's greater than the God of social acceptance. He's greater than the God of my comfortable lifestyle. Greater than the God of my addiction. Brothers and sisters, we have a testimony of how Christ rescued us on a cross. We have a testimony to share that centers on the rescuing work of Christ. May we be emboldened to share it. Let us be people who talk openly about the gospel and how it's impacted our lives. Because the God of rescue continues to rescue. And the gospel still has power to save. Billy Graham passed away this week. A man who never tired of telling the old, old story. 80 years telling the old, old story. And look at the impact it had. Thousands of people brought to know Christ. As a youngster, um, a rebellious youngster in youth talks, the one talk I would always sit up and listen in was if we had a guest speaker who came in and who gave their testimony. Why? Because you could see the personal work of Christ in that person's life. And we often think, I haven't got a dramatic testimony. I'm not an ex-drug dealer. I didn't have an alcohol addiction. But that's missing the point, isn't it? Because at the center of every testimony, of every rescue, is the Lord Jesus on the cross for an unworthy sinner. And it is that, it is that that has the power to save. I pray that tonight we may go away understanding that more fully. And it's a joy, isn't it, to see Jephro's reaction to this acknowledgement of God. Then Jephro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and other sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat a meal with Moses' father-in-law in the presence of God. What a celebration. A great celebration and worship because someone has acknowledged who God is. They share food. They offer thank. They, they worship. We're told if someone becomes a Christian, the angels in heaven rejoice. It's my prayer tonight that someone in this room becomes a Christian and that we can rejoice with you in that this evening. So once you've been rescued by a God, what next? How do you go on living in light of this rescue? The second half of chapter 18 shows us much of that. And in the coming weeks in Exodus chapters 19 to 24, we'll see much of how God will reveal to his people how to live as a rescued people. The very next day following this celebration of worship, Jephro's acceptance of the one true God, Moses has to return to his daily job. He has to go back to the day-to-day of things. And he starts early in the morning, and it keeps him there till evening. Any of the two million Israelite people can bring their problems to Moses. Any problem you have, bring it to Moses. Children playing up at home, bring it to Moses. Lying husbands, bring it to Moses. Gossiping wife, Bring it to Moses. Any problem can be brought before Moses. He sits there in the morning. He's there all day. Can you imagine that? (laughs) 
The weight of responsibility that would be. Two million people available just to knock on your door and bring all their problems before you. Time-consuming and I'm sure emotionally draining. Day after day, question after question, problem after problem. So why is Moses doing this? And that's exactly what Jethro asked in verse 14. He says, when his mother-in-law saw all that Moses was doing for the people, he said, what is this you are doing for the people? Why do you alone sit as judge while all these people stand around you from morning to evening? It makes no sense to Jethro either. Why Moses is sitting there all day, every day, handing out this advice. But Moses' response is telling. Verse 15. Because the people come to me to seek God's will. Whenever they have a dispute, it is brought to me. And I decide between the parties and inform them of God's decrees and instructions. See, it's very easy to read these verses and imagine a Judge Judy-style courtroom situation going on here. But that isn't what's happening at all. The reason people are coming to Moses is so they might be able to respond to the situations they're experiencing day-to-day in their lives in line with God's will. And what Moses does is he informs them of God's decrees and instructions. His response to them is based on his knowledge and understanding of God and his word. That is Moses' purpose in this, that the people may live in light of their rescue as people to seek to do God's will. To do God's will, to live in light of the rescue, to do God's will. And Jephro looks at this situation, he tells Moses, you can't keep this up. You're going to grow tired of them, they're going to grow tired of you. This is too much work. And he advises Moses how to continue in this situation. If you look at me at verse 19. Listen, you, you cannot handle it alone. Listen now to me and I will give you some advice. And may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. Teach them his decrees and instructions and show them the way they are to live and how they are to behave. But select capable men from all the people, men who fear God, trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain, and appoint them as officials over thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Let them serve as judges for the people at all times, but let them bring every difficult case to you. The simple cases they can decide amongst themselves, that they will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all these people will go home satisfied. Moses is to continue teaching the law's decrees and instructions. The original word here for teach actually means to illuminate. Moses is to shine light on what God has revealed in his word. It is not to innovate or add to. He is simply to shine a light on it, to direct God's people to its decrees, literally the engraving of the word, so that they might know how to live better for God themselves. He is then to appoint uh, groups of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens, and put officials in charge of each of these groups. And yes, there is a clear practical application here, isn't there, of easing the burden of a greater structure, of a more efficient and more coherent system. But it would be wrong to take this delegation of officers and see it as a simple business restructure, the sort of thing a local council likes to do every five years or so. This isn't just a picture 
of a church structure. There are clear and obvious parallels here. This is an understanding, though, of God's word and the emphasis on it being taught to every group from the biggest down to the smallest. And the importance of this delegation of responsibility over the people of God is emphasized as this passage, this second half, is pretty much repeated in Deuteronomy 1, verses 9 to 18. And also, if you turn with me to Titus chapter 2, turn me to Titus chapter 2, in your church Bible, that's page 1198. Because in Titus chapter 2, we see how this applies even more so to us today. Titus chapter 2, verse 1. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. We see here the practical teaching of God's word. In Exodus 18 and in Titus 2, we see the importance of God's word being taught so that people can live according to God's will. So I challenge you tonight, whose life are you speaking the word of God into? Who? Who are you meeting up with? As an older Christian, is there a younger Christian man in the church you could be meeting up with to shine light on the word of God with. The same goes to the ladies as well. Who are you meeting up with? Who are you opening up the word of God with? Who are you shining light on the word of God with? We have been rescued. Now we must live as a rescued people. And in order to do that, the word of God has to be central. Because in it we learn even more about the love of the God who rescued us. And we have an even greater vision of him. And our desire to live according to his wisdom will only increase. Maybe you're here tonight and you've began to drift away from living according to the decrees and instructions of the Lord. You're around less and less on a Sunday. Life groups and the hub are no longer a priority. There seems better things to do on a Friday than go to YPF. Can I urge you, make them a priority so that you can hear for yourself what the Bible has to say. So that you can be reminded how to live in light of the rescue. Maybe things at home are tough, kids are proving difficult, work is stressful, and you're trying to plow on and do things all on your own. Return to the Word of God. Pick up the Bible and read it. And read it with somebody else. See for yourself what the Lord has to say to you. Ask a Christian friend if they could meet up for an hour every couple of weeks so you can open the word of God up together, that you may shine light on it, that you might encourage each other in it, like we heard this morning.
We've been rescued. How does our life look in response to that? The word of God is there as a lamp to our feet and a light to our path to teach us the decrees and instructions of the Lord. How foolish would we be to ignore it? We have a God who is a God of rescue, a God of salvation, a God who has rescued us through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. We have a gospel and a personal testimony to share, a gospel that can save others so that they too are part of God's glorious rescue plan. Pray this week for an opportunity to share your testimony with one person. With one person. Tell them how you were personally saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. One person. And pray off the back of that, they may declare like Jephro in verse 11, now I know, now I know that the Lord is greater than all other gods. One person. And may we challenge each other to live as people who know and love God's word. Let us be people who wish to shine light on it and live according to it. Is there one person who you could meet up with? Is there? One person to share your testimony with. One person to meet up with. To shine light on God's word that you might encourage each other to live according to God's will. And if you're not a Christian here tonight, this God of rescue is yet to rescue you from whatever situation you think you're in. Ask someone to share their testimony with you. Just ask if it's a Christian friend who's brought you or you want to ask me after the service or someone with a name badge on so that you know there's someone here from the church who's a Christian. Ask them after the service. How did you become a Christian? How? How were you rescued? Because I'm telling you now, we'll be more than happy to share it with you because it changes lives. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story. Tell me the old, old story of Jesus and his love. Amen.